The following presentation is brought to you by the Realm Network. So my plan was drive Claire and Mitchell home, put them to bed, pour myself a big tumbler of scotch, and tell Didi it was over. But on the way out, we made one last stop. If destruction be our lot, we ourselves must be its author and finisher. As a nation of free men, we must live through all times. I don't know what happened. Maybe it's what Robot Lincoln said about a man's duty or keeping the union together. Maybe I just chickened out. But I realized that staying with my kids was more important than leaving my wife. Now, that's not the right decision for everyone, but it was the right decision for me. And in that faith, let us to the end dare to do our duty as we understand it. So I stuck it out until they were grown. Yay, you want to join me in the jacuzzi? And the universe rewarded me. It was 150 years ago that Abraham Lincoln gave his famous Gettysburg Address. And while that clip from Modern Family wasn't the Gettysburg Address, the message of unity was still conveyed. Of course, that Lincoln isn't exactly a robot. That machine is incapable of making any types of decisions that even factory robots are capable of making. But who is to say that one day the technology will be such that there will be a truly interactive robot Lincoln? Will that robot Lincoln enslave us, or will humanity become slaves under the heels of robot overlords? Pop culture seems to vacillate between only those two options. It's rare to see any other type of story that features robots. On this episode of ARC, I'm going to go over the history of robots in pop culture, science fiction that is quickly turning into science reality. Also, I'm going to give my review and commentary on the newest television show to feature a robotic main character, Almost Human. This is our... God bless television. To the movies. To good movies. To every possible kind. I am the danger. I am the one who knocks. Is that a hair gel? I'll be back. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! These are their stories. From now on, I order you watch more television than ever before. Welcome to another episode of Arts Review and Commentary. My name is Omar Latiri, and I hope you're enjoying yourselves. I want to give a big shout-out and congratulations to Mark Ronick and Lowell Melser, who just released the 100th episode of The Mark and Lowell Show. It's a testament to the commitment of not only those two for persevering against the naysayers, but a testament to the commitment of their fans. I personally am glad to be one of those fans, and I'm also glad that some of their fans are some of my listeners as well. Perhaps one day there'll be a crossover episode with Mark and Lowell, and we can discuss our favorite farts in popular entertainment. Bender, honey, we love you! Shut up, baby, I know it! When I first selected the topic of this episode, I figured it would be relatively easy to talk about robots and pop culture because of the sheer volume of different characters and stories throughout the years. But as I went on with my research, it became clear that I needed to define what exactly a robot was, at least for the purposes of this episode. 
Is a robot completely mechanical without any biological parts? If so, that would mean the 12 Cylon models in the new Battlestar Galactica wouldn't count as robots. Can a computer such as HAL from 2001 A Space Odyssey be considered a robot or just artificial intelligence housed in a spacecraft? It seems obvious that the Terminators are robots, but would Skynet be considered a robot? The definition can be so broad that in order for me to get into what I really want to talk about, I have to narrow it down into something that fits into the mold that we all subconsciously know. Why do you give them faces? These robots are not susceptible to intimidation. I guess if you didn't, we wouldn't trust them. These robots are USR property. Not me. These things are just lights and clockwork. First of all, robots are artificial in the sense that they are manufactured, not grown. The parts that comprise a robot may be organic, but the robot itself is not. If parts of the robot are able to organically grow, age, or develop, then it no longer becomes a robot and is more in tune of a cyborg. There's a permanence to a robot that is missing from a cyborg. Robocop started out as a robot, but the personality of Alex Murphy shone through even within the confines of the OCP programming. I am a HAL 9000 computer. I became operational at the HAL plant in Urbana, Illinois on the 12th of January, 1992. Second, the mind or programming of the robot is self-contained within a movable, identifiable robot shell of its own. If the robot's mind can be transferred into any different type of body, like the HAL 9000, then it's simply an AI. An AI can have a robot body, but the intelligence itself is not considered a robot. Third, the robot has to be able to make decisions on its own with little to no input from an external user. A remote-controlled vehicle can't function properly without a controller. Without one, it's basically nothing more than a mobile puppet. In real life, a Predator drone is not a robot, but a Roomba is, since it can alter its trajectory according to its programming. Similarly, mechas like Voltron or the Jaegers in Pacific Rim aren't robots, because without the human operators, they would just be giant metal statues. I'm powered by two hydrogen fuel cells. My primary cell was damaged by a plasma attack. TX is designed for extreme combat, driven by a plasma reactor and equipped with onboard weapons. Its arsenal includes nanotechnological transjectors. Fourth. A robot cannot be powered by something supernatural. Whatever compels a robot to do or not do anything has to stem from programming. That's why Optimus Prime is a robot and Christine by Stephen King is not. So now we know what robots are, but what are they used for? The answer of course is pretty obvious. Robots are machines and machines are made to improve productivity. We use machines to do the things we don't want to or can't do. The more automated a machine is, the less work a human needs to do. What we haven't achieved yet in real life is a machine that can think independently or something that has free will. 
We marveled at our own magnificence as we gave birth to AI. AI? You mean artificial intelligence? A singular consciousness that spawned an entire race of machines. We don't know who struck first, us or them. Looking back on all the stories out there that feature robots, I've found that they are strangely narrow in their focus. All stories involve the moral quandary of subjugation of robots or the subsequent, and sometimes inevitable, rebellion of those robots against their human creators. In fact, the word robot comes from the Czech word robotnik, which means slave, and was introduced in the 1926 Czech play R.U.R., which stood for Rossum's Universal Robots. The play was about synthetic manufactured automatons, a lot like the replicants in Blade Runner. These robots rebelled against humanity and wiped out the entire human race. Boy, that escalated quickly. Robot insurrection is a very common theme. The post-apocalyptic worlds of Terminator and The Matrix came about due to the wars between machine and man. The third act of Will Smith's I, Robot featured a robot rebellion. This recurring theme speaks to humanity's fear when it comes to the loss of control at the hands of technology, and this goes way back to the ancient Greeks. Remember Prometheus? According to myth, before Prometheus, humanity was weak, powerless, and unable to fend for themselves. Prometheus gave them fire, and the gods are suddenly threatened by a humanity that is now able to develop thanks to this technological gift. The gods felt that humanity wasn't ready for the power that fire could give them, and to this day, we teach our children respect for fire, lest it get out of control. The fear that we have of technology taking over is reflected in our stories that we write about artificial intelligence in general, and robots in particular. After all, the ideal robot is physically stronger, durable, and faster than a human. And since there has yet been a way to program emotion, robots have been shown to be free of the pitfalls that come with emotion. What is to stop machines from realizing that they are in all ways superior to humans? The only limitation that creators give to these robots are found within their programming. In the Douglas Adams novel, The Restaurant at the End of the Universe, we're introduced to a creature specifically bred to want to be eaten so as not to weird out anyone who has any qualms about eating animals that didn't want to be eaten. That train of thought isn't too far off from the one dictating the programming of robots to be unquestioning of their servitude to their owners and operators. And now we get to the part where owning and operating a machine becomes a bit... Touchy. You must be like. Tu imaginación está jugando con ti, querido. Oh my God! You're a fembot. No Machine gun jubblies. How did I miss those, baby? Perhaps next time you should try foreplay. It's much easier to accept the idea of robots as servants when A, they don't look human, and B, they're doing non-sexual jobs. But as technology increases by leaps and bounds month after month, 
It's only a matter of time before we have the robot that resembles humans most of all, the android. And what I want now is gentleness, and joy, and love. From you, Data, you are fully functional, aren't you? Of course, but... How fully? In every way, of course. I am programmed in multiple techniques. A broad variety of pleasuring. Oh, you jewel, that's exactly what I hoped. It won't be long before androids are made exclusively for sexual pleasure. But therein lies the moral quandary that science fiction writers have set up for themselves and we are now closer to needing an answer. At what point will a machine cease being a machine and start being a person? If our programming skills are so good that we're able to keep machines from being self-aware, will that excuse whatever we program those machines for? We can look at a Roomba and have it sweep up our dirt without a second thought. But as programming becomes more sophisticated and machines more interactive, will we ever have to come up with rules and ethics regarding our relationships with robots? The first law is as follows. A robot may not harm a human being or through inaction allow a human being to come to harm. Number two, a robot must obey orders given it by qualified personnel unless those orders violate rule number one. In other words, a robot can't be ordered to kill a human being. Uh, rule number three, a robot must protect its own existence. After all, it's an expensive piece of equipment. Uh, unless that violates rules one or two. A robot must cheerfully go into self-destruction if it is in order to follow an order or to save a human life. That was Isaac Asimov, the writer of the original stories that would become known collectively as iRobot. Those three laws of robotics that he coined have influenced our perception of what true robotic behavior should entail. So influential are those laws in our subconscious that it's almost laughable to think that there was a time not so long ago that even thinking of artificial mechanical life as a reality would be anything but ludicrous. But here we are, possibly just a few years away from that reality. This isn't the first time that science fiction has influenced the way we live. Nearly 70 years ago, George Orwell wrote about a dystopian future where television screens were present in every household and every action was being monitored. Today, examples of Big Brother permeate our society. When we come back, my review and commentary on the latest robotic entry in popular entertainment, Fox's Almost Human. Hey, this is Adam Sharrock. And I'm Asit Sayed. Together we host the Gaming Marathon, a weekly podcast on the Realm Network and also on iTunes. If you want the scoop on all things gaming, then look no further than this podcast. Whether it's reviews, news, insight, or general wackiness in the gaming industry, we'll cover it all. We discuss all the big news from all major platforms, such as Nintendo, Sony, Microsoft, and PC gaming, too. As well as reviewing all the latest and popular games, such as Splinter Cell Blacklist, Grand Theft Auto V, and Pikmin 3. And it's all available at RealmNetwork.com and on iTunes. The Gaming Marathon. Download and listen today. The year is 2048. Evolving technologies can no longer be regulated. Dangerous advancements forever alter the criminal landscape. Police are not prepared. 
Law enforcement combats this corruption with a new line of defense. But not all are created equal. The idea behind the DRNs was to be as human as possible. They were based on a program called Synthetic Soul. That's one of the crazy ones. I'll lead you in. Let's go. Now all cops, human and man-made together, take on the battle to watch over us all. That's the intro to the new Fox TV series Almost Human, starring Star Trek and Lord of the Rings actor Carl Urban as Detective John Kennix, a cop partnered up with a robot named Dorian, played by Michael Ely. Included in the cast is veteran actress Lily Taylor as Kennix and Ely's compassionate police captain Sandra Maldonado. The pilot takes many elements from the Will Smith movie version of iRobot, to the point where watching that first episode became an exercise in predictability. Like Will Smith's character in iRobot, Detective Kennex suffers the loss of a limb due to circumstances surrounding a robot that was calculating odds of survival. And, like in iRobot, Detective Kennex has a profound distrust of any robot. So naturally, the plot requires him to be paired up with an older model of robot cop, a model that was decommissioned due to having emotional breakdowns. Michael Ely's performance as Dorian is an exercise in emotional restraint. I wouldn't go so far as to say he's brilliant in the role, because being told to act human is basically being told to, you know, act. But there are moments of subtlety that the second episode allows him to have when the terminologies regarding property are used. It's no coincidence that the character of Dorian has dark skin. If the second episode had been anything like the pilot, I would have immediately dismissed Almost Human as a show that should be ignored. And when the trailer for the second episode advertised a story about sex bots, I was preparing myself for disappointment. Fortunately, a trailer that was meant to appeal to the lowest common denominator wasn't reflective of what the episode was actually about. It was a tense episode about harvesting skin for more lifelike sex bots and it also featured more depths for Detective Kennex. Kennex could have been a one-note character who was just a gruff exterior, but this episode proved otherwise. Sex machine, bang bot. It's a bit myopic, isn't it? Not everyone who visits a sex bot is looking for sex. Some people go for the conversation or for a sympathetic ear at the end of a long working day surrounded by people who only ever come to visit when they want something from you. That was Mackenzie Crook as Rudy, the technological forensic expert. You may know Mackenzie Crook as Gareth from the UK version of The Office, or as the pirate with the wooden eye from the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. His speech that we just heard shows a promise that the show is going to explore what could happen in the near future as robots become more and more advanced. Will there be judgment for those who seek solace and companionship from an artificial being? Who knows? After all, it wasn't that long ago that we judged people for finding love online. That's it for this episode of Art. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast in iTunes and leave a five-star review. Like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash arcreviews. Follow the show on Twitter at arcreviews. And you can email me at artsreviewandcommentary at gmail.com. My name is Omar Latiri, and this is Art. The preceding presentation was brought to you by... The Realm Network.